0: Sequelcast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Must we really make
1: a deal with that riff-raff? Well, if we don't, they all stay out on strike and we go broke. Patience, we'll find a way to regain control. Remember, there are lots of ways to skin a cat. I beg your
0: pardon? doing really well from shock treatment to jason x to police academy 6 this is sequel cast and they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end
2: this is sequel
0: cast and your host of asked that i And welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends A podcast looking at movies at a podcast One film at a time I'm your host Matt Bradley Scherge With me is
1: Me, Thrasher, a friend of the working mouse
0: And
2: Alex When I think of diversity and representation I think of David Carradine
0: Right um, I had some comments about that, yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So we're continuing our look at the American tale quadrilogy. I love that is, word. Uh,
1: yeah. Today we're going to do what may be the worst movie we've ever done.
0: Um, it, It's up there. It, it's problematic uh, uh, to say the least. It's called an American tale, the treasure of Manhattan Island for our money. I think the worst thing we've covered was Highlander, the source, but I think that's one we should do again. Cause I only watched it and I think we mentioned it in passing along with the anime, which isn't good either. But that's neither here nor there. An American Tale, Treasure of Manhattan Island. Um, so, I mean, last week, you know, we talked about the second and um, to date, you know, most recent theatrical film in the series, American Tale, Will Goes West, 91. This one didn't come out until 98 in the UK and 2000 in the United States. Um, why the UK got it so early is a, a bit weird, but stuff like that happens all the time with the theatrical and, and um, home video releases. And I think the reason why we got these two back to back video sequels is uh, Disney was making a shitload with all their direct to video sequels they were doing around this period when DVD was coming out and it was uh, the home video market was still like white hot. That kind of renewed people's interest in buying movies again. Um, a, because DVDs got very cheap on the used market, but I think B, it was easier for people to carry around DVDs and the videotapes were kind of clunky and the the players would jam and uh, and all those things
2: yeah also i think they saw that like how many sequels they were milking out of the land before time series and they're like hey let's uh, let's call. get some let's get some yeah. five yeah
0: they right. were like three it, it was,
2: sequels deep i think by the time this came out and they're uh, still crushing them i think
0: yeah i mean we'll do those at some point on sequel at some yeah. level we still need to do things before that like uh as you as you rightfully pointed out, Thrasher, the toxic Avenger movies, because I was convinced there was going to be a fifth one for years, but fuck it. Yeah. Um, well, there was
1: going to be, but now it's been put on indefinite hold because of this supposed remake with Peter Dinklage.
0: Well, Lloyd got a nice check out of that from what I heard. So I hope he did. Good for Lloyd Kaufman. Um, at one point that was going to have Schwarzenegger in it. They've been trying to make that for a long time. So, um, but this, uh, we'll talk about that. At some other point, but I'm always happy to talk about trauma. But yeah, An American Tale, Treasure of Manhattan Island. I worked at a Blockbuster Video when this came out. Um, for listeners that might not know, Blockbuster Video was a video rental chain. I hate being condescending like that, but you never know mm-hmm. any episode. You don't know the age of the listener. It's kind of uh, nebulous out there unless they get statistics from Spotify or something. And, um, and I'll, I'll say this. This and its sequel did not rent very well at my particular store. And I think because it had been such a long time. You had a few out of curiosity just because there was something new, but the old American tale movies always rented like Cane Busters. And I think, um, enough time had passed. I remember the people that grew up seeing an American tale had kids by the time this one came out. So you might've had some, uh, interest in there. Uh, there was the live action show or not live action. There was the Saturday morning cartoon that was more of the tie-in to Five Old Goes West that only lasted for a year. Uh, Thrasher.
1: Yes, I actually watched several several episodes of that. It's it is a perfectly charming little show. I, I, I think it is it is very sweet. Uh, it Has you know decent decent voice acting. the The main problem with the animation, which I may have even mentioned before, is they they really do their best to keep to the Don Bluth character designs, but unfortunately, they are animated in a very conventional direct to television animation way, and those and it just. Those designs don't work when animated for television. They, they require a certain expressive, more fluid form of animation than television allowed at the time.
0: Yeah, that series has a few um, episodes of it on videotape in the U.S., and I believe in Germany you can, you can import a, uh, a DVD release with um, English subtitles if you have a region-free or region-two DVD player. Uh, Alex, were you ever aware of the animated series? Because I never heard about it before doing uh, research for the show.
2: I remember you guys talking about, I think, in passing in previous episodes, but I haven't—I had never seen it though.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if you want to check it out, it's—it's it's on YouTube, or if you can get it legitimately, go—go go get it, because uh, I don't know—it's it, it, an interesting curio. Um, you did see a lot of—I mean, Disney certainly did that a lot, right, with the Little Mermaid cartoon, the Aladdin cartoon. I remember being especially good. Um, mm-hmm.
1: The way, the way it's set up, though, like if 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 you if you if you're a stickler for continuity and I do have to bring up being a stickler for continuity for something <laughs> I know we're going to talk about later, but the TV series would seem to take place in the middle of All Goes West.
0: The Interqual, I see. Yeah, yeah
1: like it, it would seem to be like it would basically imply that that movie spans like a whole year. Uh, and that this and the show basically takes place during the montage where they're helping Kat Arwall build the town.
2: Yeah, because there that was I think that movie is like has the most uh, like pitch a sequel potential of any movie in the series mm. of the Five of ghost West because it's like oh what happened here what if he did this or what if he did that you know there's a lot yeah. of uh, a lot of room to
0: move around. No, no, there. the time the time period is very ripe I think for exploration, but but this one. American Tale, Treasure of Manhattan Island. Um, I'm assuming for everyone, this is our first watch, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm actually was surprised it was on a DVD. It's pretty recently that this four-pack DVD came out, and uh, it's in full frame because these were coming out on videotape. But I was pleased with the quality, or I guess it also came out on DVD at the time. Um, but I was actually pleased with the image quality. I thought it would look a lot worse. Uh, well,
1: it's it's that good, like TMS sort of animation, like you got on the best episodes of the best animated episodes of Animaniacs. Although at the same time, it does lead to these weird quirks because they've got these Don Bluth style character designs, but then animated TMS style. And if if I can just wax a bit about animation, sure. can you so, explain
0: who TMS is for? So
1: a uh, Tok- Tokyo Movie Shinsha, and now I cannot. I cannot confirm. Oh no, never mind. I'm seeing it right here. Yeah, TMS did in fact do the overseas animation for this movie. Um, so they 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 are a Japanese animation studio. Uh, they do lots of stuff in Japan, but they've also done a lot of stuff for for American audiences. Uh, as I select some episodes of Batman: The Animated Series, Animaniacs, Tiny Toons. So if I could describe sort of the, like the sort of feel and motion of animation, mm-hmm. um, the, a Don Bluth animation. Everything is animated like a balloon half full of water. Everything is sloshy. Everything is <laughs> fluid. Everything has weight. Everything thuds and splats very nicely. Whereas TMS, when they're animating at their best, their animation is like a taut. It's like a taut rubber band. Uh, it is a stiff, perfect line that nevertheless can have a sudden spas- spasm of motion that vibrates back to its original shape, and. The problem is these f- these fluid half full balloon designs trying to do the taut rubber band motion i i find that to be very jarring i feel like the, the design aesthetic and the animation aesthetic do clash and i find it frustrating to look at what did amaze me though something that they did is whenever like a character is in the distance or in the background they simplify the character designs and I started f- like looking at the simplified character designs in the distance. Those simplified designs are so charming. I kind of wish the whole movie looked like
0: that. Hmm. Yeah, that'd be more interesting to kind of do more of its own thing. One thing I, I noticed, uh, especially in this film, The Treasure of Manhattan Island, the third American tale film, is uh, there wasn't much lighting on characters. They just looked flat. By What I mean mm-hmm. by lighting is like oh, shadows yeah. and stuff. And it looks like they're kind of pasted on the background. It, you kind of see this effect in, in some of the modern, like, uh, Marvel or DC comic book movies where or stuff sometimes is is overly lit, and they just look like cutouts on, on the background, and they don't have any depth of the shadow and or nuance. Later, because a lot of this takes place underground, you do see a lot more shadows, and I think the animation, or at least the, the, the depth of the characters gets better as it goes on.
2: Yeah, the daylight stuff looks a little... Um... It just lacks contrast. It does look very kind of cut and pasty, and I guess like the thing is, is that when you're making sequels from like a very unique creation, uh, from a very unique creation like Don, creative mind like Don Bluth, it the, the subsequent sequels just make you miss Don Bluth all the much more. Well, it just you- reminds you what you're missing. Well, the other thing is that that Don Bluth has no involvement with with
1: this or the movie we're going to be talking about next week. Uh, so as a result, you don't have Don Bluth there to work on character designs or to sort of bring his unique flair to it. And so as, as a result, like most of the new characters, and they recycle a lot of background characters from the original film. Oh yeah, uh, particularly from the "No Cats in America" number. Like if you if you Look at all those extra mice! Their whole mm-hmm. the population of mice in this movie. But for any new character, what you tend to have is a very conventional, um, sort of a, a American cartoon mouse design, which they then slap a Don Bluth nose on. Like they all, they all have, like almost all have, like the Mouskowitz nose.
2: Yeah, that's very true.
0: I have to say, I'm looking over these uh, the Wikipedia page here in Thrasher. You're right and that the mandate for American Tale was from the president of uh, Universal Worldwide Home Entertainment to uh, create the same value and success for American Tale in the direct-to-video market as the studio did with the Land Before Time series. Ah, yep. So, right on the money there. Nailed um, it. Nailed it. And you have, you know... I like that you have a lot of the same uh, voice cast in the leads. I think when you see that, it, it certainly helps things. Dom DeLuise as Tiger... Goes, uh, I think helps some of the Rough spots in this And he has more to do
1: He's, he's, he's he, As always is very charming He is kind of the heart and soul of these movies Although at the same time I found his voice performance very lackluster Like all of his line readings It felt like okay fellas I'm just going to do it kind of normal So you get a, a a good level on my voice Then I'll bring the magic it's a, it's, He just seems
0: tired <laughs> Well, he wasn't in great health at this time. He died... Um, you yeah, know, that's a good point. I, and, I should have like taken it, that into account. No, 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 it's fine. He he died in 2009, and he, although he was in things here and there, around this time, he mainly did uh, just voiceover work. There are some exceptions. I mean... Stargate. Did he do a Stargate? Yeah, he
2: did tr- do a Stargate. That's funny. He played two characters.
0: Oh, a serious like one and one. a funny one. Uh, yeah, the it's Bolle kind of was, funny, like the
2: the most recurring actors are the voice actors for mama and Papa Mouskowitz and, and Dom DeLuise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, like, like, um, uh, Neh- uh Nehemiah, uh, Pir- Pirsoff, who plays Papa Mouskowitz. This was, this kind of like became his career, uh, in, in yeah. that later portion of his life was just, yeah. you, you want Papa Mouskowitz? Sure. I'll do it. No questions asked. And I believe right, and he I mean, was largely retired from all other forms of acting at that point.
0: But what's really funny is uh, we were just talking about land before time the the actor that plays Fivel in both this and and the sequel we'll talk about next week American Tale Four a Mystery of the Night Monster is Thomas Decker and but before that he did Littlefoot in Land Before Time 5 through 9 oh yeah which which is from Universal as well and and later on uh, people might recognize him most from a a TV show that got canceled i think when it was just getting good uh, Terminator Sarah Connor Chronicles he played John Connor
2: Oh, that's right. Well, and also, too, I think um, these older, I think, actors are more prone to appreciate the value of a voiceover payday. It's like, I don't mm-hmm. have to sit through makeup, run for comfortable locations, and travel a whole bunch? Yeah, sure, I'll do that.
0: Like, I can do it for a day or two? or I mean, and voiceover is very hard. It's... It's real acting. I've heard some actors oh, totally. dismiss it, and that always bugs me. Um,
1: oh, no, it, 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 it is real acting, but it's real acting you can do without a lot of this sort of the prep work that comes with, with doing film or television. Yes,
0: travel or uh, hosting. You, sitting, yeah, yes. you can do
1: it in your pajamas if you want.
0: <laughs> exactly. I mean, back then, quite a lot of voiceover actors would have to have an ISDN line uh, assigned in their house, which is very expensive. But now with it, it's easier, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so... Thrasher, you, you you walked into this, I think, having thinking this is one of the worst things we've ever talked about on this show. And we've talked about hundreds of, of movies and their sequels on your Why? Uh,
1: well, well, a, a number of reasons. I also want to say your my wife wants you to know that she resents having to have watched this movie <laughs> because we, we watched it together. Um. It's time to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast-S microphone. The stunning HyperX QuadCast S features dynamic, customizable RGB lighting, a convenient tap-to-mute sensor, and four selectable polar patterns, so it can broadcast crystal clear audio, whether you're gaming, streaming, podcasting, or impressing your remote colleagues and classmates. So what are you waiting for? Join the quad squad and tap in today with the HyperX QuadCast S microphone. There's so I'm just gonna so get so i have already <laughs> talked about the animation. So the, the it's there is a there's a one two three punch. Um, mm. first you get a very poorly drawn statue of liberty that just looks cheap, like it was yes. rushed, like oh, like like oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll clean that up. No, we won't. Um, and mm. then there's this horrible like digital effect of ripples, uh, which again looks very, very cheap. And then we go in we go into this song this this whole musical number about the mouse singing about how happy they are to be working constantly and and it's like th- this this is a song about capitalism that needs a dark ironic twist but it never gets there but let's talk There's, about that because
0: you have yeah, that yeah. song about the mices being so you know proud of their work but at this but it's either like right before or right after the song, the, the father, Papa Mouskow, it's uh, voiced uh, by Nehemiah Persoff. Who, and I think it's one of my favorite voiceover performances in the whole series If I'm being honest. Not that they give him a whole lot to do, but he's like, you know, in America, the streets were supposed to be covered in cheese. And now I work three, four jobs and I never see my family. And I mean, I think that's a real issue uh, still really today. Oh, no,
1: it absolutely is. And like, and, and th- this is the thing that kind of frustrates me is that this movie is two different pitch of sequels i could have done that yes, yes. exist in one movie like these are both these are both stories that this series absolutely should tell but they both get short shrift because they're both in the same movie
0: um yeah it's like lip service to the the job stuff
1: and it just and so this this musical number just makes me hate all these mice and wish that, <laughs> that cats would show up uh but and this and this is this is the this is the the, the nail in the coffin right here is that Fievel wakes up in bed. And, oh, well, I had the strangest dream. We went out West. I was a cowboy. Oh. Time to mm-hmm. a sheriff. And like, fuck you movie. That's fuck lazy. you You, you, yeah. you, it is so insulting to the audience's intelligence to pretend that the fictional story we just saw huh. is Not real, (laughs) it was a dream, and you didn't even have to do that. I mean, one of the first shots is like a carriage coming into New York. You could have just started with them stepping off the carriage, going, Well, the old West didn't work out, so we're moving back to New York City. I like better get the job, and like that's that's it, that's all you you
2: have. How even you could just have the carriage go by, and Papa Maskus could just be like, Remember us coming back from the West like that, you know what I mean? Like, boom. (laughs)
0: Or even Stop. do it even cheaper, just play it as a close-up on uh, Papa Moskowitz's face, and you just hear the audio of a of a um, carriage going away and going, yep, uh, that's right, the West didn't work out. Now we have to go back to New York and go yeah. back how we started in America. So.
1: It, 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 yeah, so it is, it, is unfor- it is an unforgivable sin of storytelling to just write off a whole installment as a dream, and they don't even need to do it. Uh, and it, But it also raises a lot of questions what else was a dream
2: exactly
0: that's more of a for a david lynch movie than an american <laughs> tale but yeah it's
2: <laughs> you know Matt, it, it, it i just, always it... wanted to get into the american tale franchise
0: uh, oh 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 yes mr lynch yeah what what um what was your a lot of here? people
2: think that I I, I prefer this um, more surrealist, uh, dark surrealist horror, but actually I, I've always yearned to make a lighthearted animated family adventure film. And I while, while Don Bluth isn't helming the ship, uh, I would definitely buy another ticket for uh, An American Tale, Treasure of Manhattan Island.
1: You know what? I love that scene where, where Tiger is on the phone and will asks him, who are you talking to? Tiger is like, oh, I'm talking to you at your home. And he hands Fivel the phone and Five's suddenly talking with himself in a different location <laughs> on one of those old timey telephones.
0: Uh, also, the scene where um, Fivel does transcendental meditation for 20 minutes and it's 20 minutes of silence on the soundtrack. <laughs> really bold choice.
1: Also that thing we like we where like uh where Tony pony is like he's got that oxygen tank and he's just breathing and he goes, Hey Tony hey Philly, don't look at me.
2: Don't look <laughs> at me Tony wants the to fuck
0: Okay. Um speaking of it like we fuck. have a new
2: baby in the moskovitz family and it's a fish potato. We we are gonna earn that explicit content label
0: for this. Yes, episode. I put it on no matter what, just because I don't want to check for, for language episodes um, like this. Oh, actually, speaking of which, so uh,
1: this is something else I I noticed. Um, the Moskowitzes do seem to like their baby seems to have grown up in the opening scene because they appear to be bathing like a three year old.
0: Yes, the and then it's
1: an infant again for the rest of the movie. So is that, is that a, a different ba- different kid that they're wa-
2: bathing? Maybe they're like babysitting for a neighbor or something. I don't know.
0: I just think it's something that could have been overlooked. I imagine the budget on stuff like this and the and the timeline to make this was. Oh, I'm couldn't sure they could. Huge. Do it. Well, I mean, yeah, animation. If you try to do a retake, it's so much more expensive than live action. So you got to you know really have a good script going in there.
2: Um, so speaking of script when i think yes. about this film right I, I i remember the the crappy opening musical number and like you said you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of like one of those old soviet like uh musicals where like everyone's like walking <laughs> in a factory happily um, like oh, yeah
1: um, you know that's it yes
2: <laughs> <laughs> everyone's twirling a wrench you know in an assembly line um but then like so we open up and then tony's like oh, it takes at least a month to get rich um and then, like, I just have this, like, gray space, and I don't really know what the inciting uh, yarn is for this adventure. Like, I just...
1: Well, it, it really know. takes its time, because yes. like, the, cause we, we know Tony's working at the Cheese Factory, and so is Five's father, so you think, oh, that's where the story's gonna go. But then Tony's like, oh, hey, I discover something cool out of the streets of New York! Ow! Oh! And... He takes Fival into the old pneumatic subway line, the precursor of the modern subway, which is a bit of New York lore that I love that they brought up. Um, that was cool. Yeah, and, and like while they're down, and you know they have a little adventure there involving the train, and while they're down there, they discover this old, this old like map, um, in which they then turns out Tony also works at a museum, uh, oh. and he has a he has a friend. Uh, where was it, Professor? Fuddle. Oh no, Doctor Dithering, played by Renée Aborgenois, who you may remember as Odo in Deep Space Nine, and also the chef from The Little Mermaid,
2: and every Robert Altman movie.
1: Oh yeah, and he's he's he's. he's it's a delightful little performance from him as mm-hmm. an organism that I couldn't identify, so I just assumed he was like a guinea pig or something. Turns out yeah. he's a pack rat. What? Uh, yeah, they okay. they like they eventually flat out state he is a pack rat they're not being metaphorical so i guess he doesn't look like a rat though he looks like a guinea pig or possibly a gerbil but anyway and 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 this is where this is where the movie disappoints me on a new level because he finds the map and he's like oh why this is this is a map uh drawn by the uh, indigenous inhabitants of manhattan island from you know back from like the colonial era uh, and like in, in indigenous, oh yes, yes, the uh, the 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 people who who used to live here that that were erroneously and incorrectly called Indians. I'm like, oh, well, it's nice that this movie take you know takes that stance, and so they use the term indigenous, and I think they may even use the term Native American. But mm-hmm. for the rest of the movie, they just right. use the term Indian.
0: They use yeah. the term Indian. You hear, I think, Indian at one point.
1: You do yep. in fact hear that at one point They're Um, and, and it's well, it's. It took and it it, the fact that it only happens once here really makes me wonder was that the one line they retake? Like, oh, maybe we shouldn't do maybe, maybe you know, we we like, like, I would like if the if your villains are going to use an outdated and hurtful term. Well, they're villains. They're going to do bad things. Um, exactly. But you're pro- like, if your prota- if the concept is introduced to your protagonist
2: and they get the better word,
1: they yes. should use it for the rest it's, of the movie.
0: It's very I, strange.
2: I think it's also one of those things of like, hey, since we addressed it, we're good, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? It's right. <laughs> like paying it forward or something. Like, that viable. we've done our due diligence. <laughs> right. Or like you said, they, they recorded everything else and they're like, okay, maybe we should step out in front of this and maybe do, do some corrective, uh, action, but we're not going to correct, you know, fix the whole film. We can only do this one establishing scene.
1: So, so, uh, so Tony, uh, uh, Dr. Dither, uh, his, his (laughs) research assistant, uh, Oh, God, what the hell is his research? His research assistant, Sc- Scuttlebutt, played by John Cassier, who was the, the Crypt, Crypt Keeper and one and... of the voices of uh, Buster Bunny in Tiny Toons. Um, they decide they're going to have an expedition to see what's at the other end of this map. And there's a lot of back and forth with his family. Like, oh, you shouldn't go. It's dangerous. Oh, but it's educational. And it's it's one of those things like they they sort of like they write Fievel's sister out of a huge chunk of this movie.
2: Yeah, and I always liked Tanya. Um, oh, and that's like the other thing too. And like at this point in the movie, how far are we in the runtime? Like, I feel like at least a half hour. Yeah, yeah for well, a almost halfway. This is
0: quite movie. short. So seventy-nine yeah. minutes, including the credits. And you know, you haven't really gotten to the the titular of them talking about the treasure of Manhattan Island, or you know, oh, we got to do this. Like, it it takes a sweet time for no good reason. I think there's too many characters with the The factories, uh, you know, corrupt owners that are trying to uh, follow them. Uh, Mr. Grasping, Mr. Toplofty, and Mr. Obloat, voiced by Ron Perlman, Uh, people might know best as hell, boy, uh, from the first two movies. Uh, Tony J, who um, did a lot of voiceover work, uh, especially. um, Well, he just took in the critic, didn't he?
1: uh he is not in the critic but he, he's me. one of those actors who's in everything he's in a really good episode of night court but yeah. uh, in animation he did a lot of animation work well, particularly in, in hunchback
0: of, of in life. the disney hunchback of notre dame um he was uh frollo the yeah bad he was guy. He, he excellent was frollo.
1: he was also he was megabyte in reboot
0: ah yes oh, interesting and yeah, richard karen so, like... i don't go on
2: it felt like um, Richard. Speaking of Richard Karen, it felt like like David Carradine and Richard Karen, like recorded this movie with like technology from the fifties, as opposed to everyone else.
0: Yes, oh, yes so, in the recordings.
2: So many people sounded like they were recorded in their bathroom. Yeah, or like one of those like old timey microphones, you know, like the metal ones, like in a bathroom while the sinks running or something.
0: And and as as you were mentioning earlier, Thrasher, um, or I think it was you, Alex, maybe David Carradine plays uh, the, the head of the Native Americans, Chief Willisso. Continuing
2: and, the David Carradine tradition. I know, right? I was like... Right.
0: And yeah, well, you have to consider Chinese when it was war. made, I think nowadays they would do a better job of casting someone uh, uh, more appropriate for for the part. Um, but it's this cartoon really made uh, it set in for me. As far as Native American representation, most of what I saw as a kid, even now, is from cartoons. Like I I can rarely think even um the only Native American actor, I'm not proud of this, that I can name is Wes Studi, who was in uh, I think the uh, Dances with Wolves and, and did just a whole lot of the the Western mini series and stuff in the 90s. But um it it's really something that I think there should be the Hollywood should do better and tell more uh, the, the, the what happened to Native Americans and just their their stories. Uh, are just so interesting to me, and you don't see that on the the screen a lot. And when you do, it's yeah. in a cartoon, where it's this kind of offensive portrayal, that's not so different from the Bugs Bunny cartoon from the '50s.
1: So, so I have yeah. to, I do have to ask this. So, we we talked about the 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 the, the awful way they handled the the uh, Native American mice in Will Goes West*. Do you think this film is overcorrecting, or do you think they even considered? like the
2: previous film when they when they did this film?
1: Because well, we, wrote it we already as, know they've declared it's
2: a dream. Yeah, they wrote it off as a dream, so I don't think they're too concerned, I guess, with it.
0: I think they're trying to overcorrect, but I don't think they do it in, in the best way. It it seems pretty half-assed, um, especially with what we pointed out with that line about, oh, they're called Native Americans, and then they, they call them all sorts of stuff later on. Um, it, it's like taking a Popeye uh, cartoon about the Japanese from World War II and, and having one line of dialogue, a positive line of dialogue, and the rest is all, uh, stereotypes. I'm being a bit harsh, perhaps, but it's, um, uh, uh-huh. I, I, am I? Because well, eh, it, no. when this came out, when this came out, right, it was the late 90s, early 2000s. I did, I think we all did public school in the United States, mostly, right?
2: I I, I had some private school.
0: Oh, did you have private yeah, school, public Alex? School. Public, um, uh, public school, so, but
2: also like, like we were saying, I think we we mentioned this in *Fabulous West*. It's like at the time when that came out, it's like we knew better, you know yes, what I mean? Yes, yes.
0: And I'm thinking more of my history courses in particular. I had teachers that would still uh, not use the term Native American, or if they would they'd roll their eyes, or and it would depend on the age of the teacher uh, often. But so I know. Well, well,
1: yeah. you know, you know what, what. <laughs> What I feel like did a lot of good, like at least for me, there is uh, back in like the the late 70s and early 80s, there was a short bit of animation. I think it's like it just like one minute, frankly, there's a short Mm -hmm. bit of animation um, that they used to show on Sesame Street where it's two white kids playing cowboys and Indians. And then this one brown skin kid comes by and and he's like, oh, hey, Indians don't talk like that. It's like, well, how do you know? Well, because I'm an Indian. And then, like oh, he like wow. walks off, yeah. and like, oh yeah, they're they're people, they're not stereotypes. Like that's great. I mean, yes. it's not not a, the term was would be outdated uh, within a, a few years of of that uh, of that short being made. But like, I feel like that one minute of animation does a much better job than this sure. entire movie, <laughs> as, as far it, as like gosh. representing a, peop-
0: right. a people. Right, and is it and every movie's? I mean, like. We're getting a little bit into the weeds here as we tend to do on sequel cast too, but um, I wasn't expecting to have this conversation with just this dumb sequel, but um, let, yeah, let's get back to the movie. Uh, so I, I think it has too many characters and that doesn't really help anything. And they're not given a whole lot to do. I mean, when, once the story gets going like uh, halfway through the film, more or less, and they're trying to look for the treasure, that at least gets it some momentum. You have your characters and they're doing something.
1: I mean, it's it's yeah. exciting. It goes full Indiana Jones because there's like a whole yeah, of full of like Indiana Jones booby traps
0: uh, you get chased by a boulder thing. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah uh, hot coals, arrows. you know, it's 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 wild. i I do like th- there's a lot of frantic uh, action. Uh, and it's like it's it's funny like th- that whole sequence is video gamey, but in a very good, entertaining way. Uh, and TMS animates the hell out of that scene. Um, although I just want to, I do want to point out um, we are told that that tunnel full of booby traps is the only way in and out of the sort of secret underground place where the Native American mice have been living. Which means when the main characters leave, they have to go through that same hall of booby traps, which are never disarmed. Right. They have to, they have to, through mm. that whole ordeal again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and, like, and the thing is, eventually the villains find this place too. And the same thing would happen to them when they leave, they would have to go through the booby traps again. Uh, a, a secret passage is eventually that bypasses the traps is eventually revealed, but not until all the characters would have had to have passed through that, that hallway at least twice, possibly four times.
2: Maybe that's why it's so boring. There was a bunch of other bad guys that were supposed to show up, but they just got nixed on the, on the booby traps.
1: <laughs> but but yeah. So 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 while this adventure is happening, we 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 have some action at the cheese factory where the mice are siphoning milk out of a dairy and, and making cheese. And you know, it, it, there's a lot of like, you know, sweatshop parallels. They're all being overworked. Uh, they don't you know anything anything that's good for the factory ends up being bad for them and you know you have your your three robber bear and mice you know working people to death and wanting to strike break and beat up troublemakers and i got it i do have to give the movie credit i i i love the corrupt cops that act as strike breakers i'm glad
2: they included that That because that happened yes big time oh yeah that was that was good business that i felt like watching this movie i'm trying to like find the movie for the filmmakers i'm like all right the treasure thing's not the movie this very bad segue of representation's not the movie and then we get to the factory and the strike breakers and the corrupt cops i'm like this is the movie like we just found it more interesting we just do this right i mean yeah there's a whole movie's worth of material here and like
1: oh and this is and this is like the other the other thing that, that that frustrates me like so so much is that that like that like papa mauskiewicz's his his violins apparently that business tanked that makes right. me so sad
2: it makes you want to play the world's smallest violin <laughs> like he would have because he makes yeah. tiny violins <laughs> they're and, and, mice. <laughs> and like you know they never went out
1: west so presumably he still has that shop and all of his inventory
2: <laughs> i bring it out west and it becomes a fiddle i don't know how this works is this is an american custom you <laughs> be, be
1: very careful, because you were about to turn into Dracula.
2: I know, will play my, uh, I'll play my fiddle and and drink your blood. Oh God, no!
0: Speaking of the Dracula, did you hear that Nicolas Cage is going to star in a Dracula movie?
2: Yes, he's going to play Dracula in the Renfield movie. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, so Why cool. not? Bring it on. I'm down. With Nicholas um,
0: Holt as Renfield, he's he's quite good. Um,
1: I I cannot wait. Um. But so back yeah. so back to this. And so yeah, the robber barons single out Papa Mouskowitz because like he helps Tony keep his job when Tony shows up late. Um. And so they sort of single him out as as the troublemaker who's probably going to lead a strike, even though he's so craven about it. Although although I do appreciate. That Papa Mouskowitz gets an arc like I hate that he's just so sniveling and passive in the beginning of this film when, you know, he is he is shown to be something of a man of action in the first two films. You know, he's the one that just makes the bold decision to go to America, you know, all these things. Um, But and, and, and that was actually the other thing. This movie forgets that the Mouskowitzes are Jewish until like halfway through, when he goes home and he does that whole thing where he touches the mezuzah on the door.
0: Well, you, you have a joke that uh, references it when the uh, Native Americans go and, and round up the, you know, they initially capture the the people until they have a discussion, kind of see what's going on, and he he looks at um the the chief. I think, looks at Tiger and says something like, oh, oh, uh... You brought a cat? Yeah, yeah, but you're a cat. And and, uh, the line from uh, Tiger is like, oh, I'm thinking about converting. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I thought that that was a pretty funny... uh, That was good, yeah.
1: But again, none of, none of these scenes have a chance to breathe because they keep cutting back and forth. So you know the yes. so you know, Fivel and the Professor and Tony and Tiger, like they they you know they 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 hang around with the Native Mice. They you know they they enjoy some hospitality. They 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 learn about each other, and uh, then they have a horrible horrible musical number.
0: Yeah, what this is the, the Dreams one. Yeah, that yeah. This was is not anywhere in all.
1: your dreams. Yeah,
0: <laughs> which it's
1: not about anything. It is made of platitudes. So. I, and, and I, and, you know, my wife reminded me of this, but in the first film, I, I refer to how all the songs sound like first drafts, but that kind of gives them the charm. All the songs in this movie also sound like first drafts, but in the worst way possible.
2: Yeah, they sound yeah. like, like, uh, like outlines to a first draft. Yeah, like something song about song dreams, about, something about hope. Yeah, it is your song. Yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll fly around and then, uh yeah and it's just it, all i could think of i kept giggling um when the character was introduced but the I, I can't remember her name uh the native girl um oh, yeah thank you julina um i just kept thinking that she looked like like a mouse version of the land O'Lakes lakes butter logo yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's not an inspired uh, design like it looks no. like she's wearing a wig like a mouse. you know what i mean <laughs> like and that was so yes, she was and, played by elaine bilstad
0: Okay, and the cool. singing voice is by Lisa Miller, and it's noticeable in that song that the singing voice of Lisa Miller is far above and beyond um, Thomas Decker, who was voicing, I mean, who is a kid, to be fair, uh, voicing um, Fival. But you get a weird disconnect there because they're, either they both sort of sounded kind of shitty, like in the first film, or they should have sounded both like really polished. Like it's like in Aladdin, right? When the characters start singing, it's not the same as the talking voices. But it doesn't it's like quite a, take you out it's of It's like the, the Michael
2: Jackson Leon Simpson character.
0: Yes. Yes. It's <laughs>
2: Leon it's just, Kapowski. Yeah, okay. Leon Kapowski.
0: It's just a weird disconnect between the performance of those characters. Also, I noticed with this uh, character of Kalina as uh, she she's walking around, they have a strange light blue outline on her. And it really stands out in the musical sequence. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's a and I, weird thing. And I'm not scare. sure why. I'd, and I, I looked at the, the fur and, uh, of some of the other characters. They don't have that outline. And I know black can sometimes blend into backgrounds and just disappear. So, But that, All the, that blue line was really distracting. But probably because I was watching this on my phone with it like one inch away from my face.
2: Maybe she has like, you know, magical powers because she's an indigenous person or something. And that's like some bad lore they left out. Perhaps. Ooh. Well, there was so shortly
1: after this, we do get a a musical number, which I will say I begrudgingly sort of liked, despite its flaws, where um, where Mr. Grasping, Mr. Toplofty and Mr. Obloat, they they sing this song called Friend of the Working Bows, all about how they act like decent people, but they're just exploiting their their workers and there's some yeah, good and anima- there's some decent animation there's some mm-hmm. interesting choreography but like every verse of the song sounds like it's from a different song with roughly <laughs> the same cadence
0: i just don't I mean, this was such a big thing at the time but like they felt like every um probably because of disney's success with beauty and the beast uh, soundtrack and aladdin and that thing but every kids movie had to have like musical numbers and i don't think it's really necessary and in fact it often takes away it's really hard to write a, a song with a good kind of pop hook as, as, as Disney was really good at doing um, still is well, good at doing, but.
1: Even though the first, the first yeah. film, it just had like what, no cats in America somewhere out there in the duo song. Correct. I think that's
0: uh, that, right. Uh, yes. I mean, so, I mean n- 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 none of these the have like, two. yeah, n- none of these have like 10 songs, a, a movie, like, a, um, some of the older Disney ones did or like a full throated Broadway musical, but But still, it just seems like you could just have a dialogue scene and get the same idea. Why do you need songs on there? You're not going to release a soundtrack with three songs on there.
1: I know, right?
0: What the hell are you doing?
1: They'll they'll re-release
2: a special edition of the original soundtrack with bonus tracks from this movie. I was just afraid they were going to try to shoehorn in like a rap or something like that. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Like a very, very anachronistic like rap scene. Yo, uh, my name is Tony. I ain't but... giving
1: you baloney. I'm the mouse who runs the house here in New York. Oh. I, I, Joe Basch, just... yo. Hey, remember when he had a rap album?
0: Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, when, when you said rap, I immediately came to mind the uh, Robin Williams rap in uh, Fern Gully. Oh. I mean, Miss oh, Batty, and my
1: mind's a ratty.
0: Oh. <laughs> We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks, we do linguistic analysis. The Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine. But so the changed meaning, in Japanese, it means to temper. Other times, we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. I think your apartment is haunted. (laughs) Check us out at the HyperX Podcast
1: Network. Take a time machine back to before the world went to hell around the year 2000. The 80s and 90s were so rad. The movies, the music, the TV, the games, that's what I want to talk about. If you're cool enough, join us and listen to Less Than 2000, because that's all we talk about. Adam and Chad
0: live Less Than 2000. SQLCast Two and Friends is part of the HyperX Podcast Network. HyperX is our sponsor and the maker of the acclaimed QuadCast and QuadCast S microphones. QuadCast USB mics look and sound amazing, and they're packed with features. With four selectable polar patterns, you'll get great sound no matter what you're recording. The included shock mount and pop filter mean you won't have to shell out extra cash for a great setup. Then there's the eye-catching LED indicator and tap-to-mute sensor, so you can tap in and tap out to stop broadcast accidents. It's time for you. To tap in with the HyperX Quadcast and Quadcast S. Uh, so
1: anyway, <laughs> that's the visual. Uh, so yeah, anyway, um, the expedition. You know, they they decide that you know they they have to return. They have to return to the surf. Oh, they do. They do get to learn like what the treasure uh, of Manhattan Island is, where they have this this huge. This is something that I feel like I like the design motifs on it, but I feel like it should have been. It should have been. Dr- drawn a little bit better is they have this sort of big uh mural this big beaded woven mural that's like their that's like their tribe's history and like you know our our history and our culture that's the great treasure which is which is nice although that's probably something you reveal at the end not in the middle (laughs) yes it's just (laughs) It's, it's still a, kind of a nice little moment, but, you know, they decide, well, I guess we're going to have to leave. Uh, but it's uh, determined that uh, the chief's daughter, uh, Cholina, is going to go with them to see what the surface world is like and to see whether you know, like, circumstances have changed. So, so she's going to stick around for the rest of the movie.
0: I know, it's In, like,
1: hello, indeed. new character. And this is when they walk back through the booby traps without giving. Get- Hurt or facing the booby traps.
2: It also seems very just like incongruous, though. It's like, you know, we're very apprehensive of, you know, these people we were forced to ever land, but we'll let our daughter with these strangers we don't really know to kind of like get a, a heat check on these people. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, eh, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. structurally, this is a mess. Like, uh.
0: yes, and, and that doesn't. I am also kind of was a bit confused by. Uh... The ending where as things are wrapping up, they, you know, help set off this bomb. Oh, oh, yeah. Right... So so, yeah.
1: yeah. So like the strike, the strike happens is a whole big kerfuffle. Um, the three robber barons decide to in, in a a move that really resonates today, decide to decide to blame all the problems in the factory on a vague foreign nemesis. <laughs> is trying to infiltrate the country so they blame they blame the native american mice uh and there's you know a whole riot a whole chase um eventually Fival goes to take uh chilena back back to her people and that's where we discover that there's that secret passage that bypasses the traps all the cops go through this is another thing where it's like i don't know i, I feel like like the script got got changed halfway through because when they, when, when Fiebel makes it to the village with Cholina, he's like, there, there are people coming. Well, how are we going to defend ourselves? We don't know how to make war anymore. He's like, Wait a minute. What we need is a diversion, but then there's no diversion. They just fight the cops.
2: Right. We don't yeah. know how to make war anymore. That's like, blah, blah, blah. Um, Then again, this is like, the structure i feel like this movie has like three middles two endings and no beginning <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yes and fievel's sister is now arbitrarily part of this mission
1: to return sholina to her people so now they remember she exists in the narrative um mm-hmm. and or so the ch- just
2: took her wig off and it turns out it was tanya the whole time
1: yeah
2: and and so so the so uh the chief uh you know is like well you know we're
1: we're gonna have to collapse the the secret tunnel that leads here so uh they say oh but you'll but you'll be trapped like what'll happen to you oh we'll be fine our air shafts won't be affected we'll tell you where to and he gives them like a this like this canister full of gunpowder to blow up near an underground river to sort of flood the tunnel so nobody can nobody can find them again um but you know, we were sure they'll be safe. And there's some, there's some things with the gunpowder, but eventually, you know, it explodes. Um, then we cut back to the surface, uh, and, uh, you know, Papa Mauskowitz has become the effectively like sort of a union head. He, he is now the, he is now the negotiator who's supposed to negotiate between the workers, uh, and the robber barons. And it appears that he is going to begrudgingly be able to get them better conditions at the factory. Um, And then in an awkward sort of final cut, Professor Dithering gives Fievel the telescope that he was playing with at at the museum very early in the film. And he goes, oh, I think you'll like the view from here, young Moskowitz. And he looks through and there's (laughs) a statue. And the, the cut is so quick, I could not tell who this was a statue of, but it's got a big hat. And it turns out Cholina and her father are on the hat and then they go through a secret door and vanish. So hold on! Mm-hmm. hold on how many passages to the surface do they have and why does one of them come out through a statue that would have been erected like a good century after they went into seclusion
0: not just that <laughs> is dr dithering saying it's a good view because he's spying on a young rat
1: well i think he's telling that to, to 50 like oh well, there's your f- there, like he, he wants to slyly say there's your friend I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a sexual thing. Although, speaking of sexual things, Tony Pony, I guess he had a falling out with his girlfriend from the first movie. Yes,
0: yeah, oh, yeah. So he, he seems to be getting uh, getting uh, envy at five in this.
1: Well, I mean, he he's the horny mouse, and uh, he he does not get a, he does not have any kind of relationship with anyone through through this movie. Oh, also, I got to ask because this is a problem that I noticed in both this movie and the next one. Tanya seems to be sometimes Fievel's older sister, sometimes Fievel's younger sister, and sometimes Fievel's twin
2: sister. Yeah, she's pretty inconsistent in these movies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hi, there's one of on my yeah. cats, Dandelion, meowing. Um, good old cats. Okay, so as we wrap up this discussion of this film, uh, I do want to point out there's a very funny review uh, from TV Guide oh, no. from the time... That has, it doesn't say who the the writer is, it just says TV Guide, unfortunately, but it it has lines like, uh, In this being the era of pop bombast, every tune soars heavenward as if it were intended for the larynx of Celine Dion. (laughs) So that's... uh, Oh dear. And it yeah, also says here another good line is uh, Fiebel immediately develops a crust on the chieftain's daughter and hoping to bridge a gap between their two worlds invites her to upper Manhattan little realizing that the factory owners are already scheming to exploit the noble engine mice. Is this a cartoon or another studs Turkle musical? <laughs> so that's, that's quite a, a witty little review from TV guide. Good on the you. Rare there, studs I reference. Yeah. yeah I, I, I you could it. use more studs in our life. I was going to say we can use more studs in our life, but that could be um, taken a number of ways. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah dandelion, I feel as my cat, I feel as uh, he doesn't like They we talking about mice, but yeah, an American <laughs> tale, I'm going to let him out, but out, before I do, let me give my opinion. An American tale, Treasure of Manhattan Island, I would not recommend. It, it feels often quite pandering, although I like it goes for the Native American Angle, it just seems forced, and I agree that the worker labor story is more interesting and, and gives it some interesting uh, juice in there. Um, Thresher, yeah,
1: I'm I'm gonna give it uh, I'm gonna give it a sequel no for all of the reasons uh, that I uh, I mentioned uh, going into this. Uh, it's it's just. Yeah, it's 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 two really good ideas welded together into one not at all good movie. I, I will I will say just so I can g- go on something of a high note. Susan Blue got a check. Uh, the voice casting was by Susan Blue, and she is a uh, voice director and voice caster who I really, really love and respect. Um, she also has a very interesting history in animation. Um she, for, for anyone who who doesn't know, she, uh, any any TV animation where you lo- really liked the voice cast, there's a very good, th- there is a greater than 50% chance she was the voice caster. But she was also the original voice of the uh, female Transformer RC, uh, starting ah. a movie and going through uh, several later incarnations of Transformers. Oh, interesting.
2: So I'm glad she got a check.
0: Certainly. Um, and Alex.
2: Um, uh, Thrasher, you mentioned this earlier that, uh, your wife expressly wanted it on the record that she hated this film. Uh, my girlfriend, uh, also hated it as well. And, um, I'm not just playing to the crowd. Uh, this is a, this is a sequel No, from my end. I think structurally it's a, it's a, it's a bloody mess. Um, it's, uh, it takes two decent ideas, like you said, Matt, and just kind of just crush it and just, you know, clumps them together in this. Uh, just incongruous mess and um, the musical numbers I thought were just uninspired and I don't want it to sound like I'm that like crusty old critic like crapping on like family entertainment but this isn't very entertaining for anyone <laughs> um, but yeah sequel no um, and that dream song is just really stupid um, yeah sorry I'd have to go sequel no on this one although Dom DeLuise and uh, Nehemia Persoff and Eric Guillon yeah good stuff
0: yeah, it's, I it, it was really sort of, I mean, what surprised me the most is, and I, I said this, I think, for last week's episode, too, but that end of the first American tale, I, I love the line where, maybe because I, I traveled around as a kid and moved around a lot, but he's talking to, is it a dove or an eagle or whatever it is in the first film? Uh, <laughs> and, and and he says, like, oh, this is all of America for you to explore, or the whole world to explore, or something along those lines. And it's like, yeah, you can really take this character... Uh, the, the jewish mouse five old mouse quotes and his family and really move them anywhere and do all sorts of stories and oh, nothing the other against, thing
2: I, nothing oh, against sorry, new york can... but yeah go on oh i thought like actually i had an interesting thing the one thing i think that's good here is that i was like if you know you've if you've even gotten a whiff of the of new york city you know that there's an adventure you know what i mean i'm like this this could yes, be the adventure yes. like the city as a, uh, not the city as a character, but there's so much to do, you know, that especially if you're a mouse, um, you know, each borough would be like going to a different continent, practically.
0: Definitely. That's, uh, no, good point, and well said, all of that. Um, Yeah, so let's do Pitch a Sequel. And, um, you know, thinking of where this one ends and everything, and what I just said about wanting to move the Mouskiewicz families to other locales besides New York, I think I would have it where um, Fievel, it would, it would take off the dream line at the beginning about the second one where Fivel falls asleep.
1: So the part about it being a dream was itself a dream.
0: <laughs> uh, right. He, he falls asleep and he wakes up. And um, let's say mainly because I liked uh, Alex's comedic bits so much, he wakes up in the house of David Lynch. And so it will be this <laughs> surrealist, like uh, odd couple thing with um, David Lynch, who I imagine might be pretty particular about how he wants things and his routines. And uh, Mouskowitz, who's more of the, Fievel Mouskowitz, who's more of a sloppy one and a, and a kid and just kind of getting in his way all the time. <laughs> and David Lynch is filming a murder mystery that um, on the set one day, Fiveo discovers the uh, the corpse of uh, his father, Papa Mouse Woods, and tries to solve a mystery. And it was, it's kind of this dark, uh, inside-the-makings-of-Hollywood, surrealist, David Lynch-esque comedy that no one would ever make in the first place. That would be my pitch-a-sequel. An American tale uh, with very special friend David Lynch. <laughs> It would have, like, a little bobble on the, the corner starring yeah, David like Lynch.
2: It's like, a cut out of his head, you know, like, ooh,
0: uh-huh.
2: look at me, I'm on the cover.
0: I still can't believe Martin Short did David Lynch in the um, movie of... Uh, the Jiminy
2: Glick. Jiminy Glick lost in
0: It's such a good David Lynch impersonation, too. Have you seen that, Alex?
2: No, I definitely have to look this up after the recording. Yeah,
0: it's well worth... The movie is sort of a mess, but it's the David Lynch stuff is really good um thresher right,
1: so my my pitch is sequel uh i'm going to pretend that these movies were dreams <laughs> this movie was a dream but the wild west one was not where so you know, the the Quitses they go further west and this time they settle in uh they settle in excuse me in in san francisco which is going from being a boom town into a proper metropolis so we'll see the growth of san francisco we'll see the growth of uh we'll see the growth of chinatown as chinese immigrants are brought in to work on the railroad uh that is being built so we'll get all that sort of in 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 the in the backdrop and then uh the mouskowitz's get involved uh, get involved in the gold rush and that's where the real story begins because while well, getting involved in the gold rush, they meet Joaquin Mausietta, the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, based, of course, on the historical figure Joaquin Morietta, uh, also known as the Mexican Robin Hood. And uh, they uh, meet a family of Mexican mice who are also prospectors out there who are being oppressed by claim jumpers because... Uh, this is going to be during the period where it was before California as a state was incorporated, but the local authorities passed a law saying you could not prospect for gold in California if you were of Spanish descent, uh, which possessed a lot of Spanish-descended people who left there and, and – what what made what made Joaquin Murrieta the Mexican Robin Hood? Uh, he was he was he was literally taking back gold that was being taken from Spanish descended Spanish and Mexican descended people in the area. So uh, it's really it's it's you know all going to be about the different mice staking their claims, but learning to come together to hold on to it when when uh, when people show up to to exploit their labors. And this this will be uh, Fivel. This will be uh, American Tale Three. Fivel
2: goes west colon the secret of San Francisco. Ooh,
0: nice that. Has are they good word.
2: at Are they good at finding gold because the mice are tiny and they can pick up goldflake? Well, that that'll be kind of the irony is that like you know little bits of gold ore
1: that like get chipped off. You know they'll they'll like grab it and scuttle away. Yeah, <laughs> it's
0: adorable. There's got to be some joke where uh, Fiveo falls into a a pile of gold, and he he opens his mouth, and it looks like he has gold teeth as he blinks.
2: <laughs> He's got a little <laughs> <That's> <almost laughs> cartoony, but I like it.
0: Twink, twink, <laughs> uh, Alex.
2: Um, so everything's good in in little the little mouse burrow, right? And then. Um, out of nowhere comes this giant parade of uh, like these like weird cloak wearing uh, mice, and they're carrying this kind of like mad prophet. It's like one of the albino mice with the, with the red eyes, and he's like this like shouting. Is it one of the mad rats prophet. of him? Yeah, exactly. He's one of the shouting. He's this like you know like mad possessed uh you know mad prophet screaming about like god and oblivion and the infinite you know ways of the almighty one and um everyone in the mouse community just falls under this guy's spell and he's got those big intense red eyes and you know he's clutching his you know various uh accoutrement you know jewelry and like "Ah, i'm the prophet of the seventh mouse hole and blah 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 um and, you know, you get Tiger being like, oh, this guy gives me the heebie-jeebies. Um, and uh, even Mama and Papa, Mouskowitz Fall, spell to this, uh, you know, great, you know, uh, prophet cult leader. And uh, Fievel and Tanya have to uncover this this, this great mystery because they, they, they think something is awry. And um, it, it turns out it's this great, you know, uh, Ponzi kind of uh, scheme uh, led by this uh, charismatic cult leader called um, Ogden Oblivion, we'll call him. Uh, <laughs> voiced by Christopher Lloyd, we'll say. You see, and... I thought you were going to call him something
1: like L. Ron Hullabaloo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that would have been better, actually, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's basically called um, An American Tale Three Welcome to Heaven. <laughs>
0: Okay, welcome to heaven. You mean American Tale 4?
2: Yeah, yeah, sure, why not? Okay. Well, we're not going to pretend the third one exists, too. Well, <laughs> well, that, that, that's
0: fair. They seem to do that a lot with movies nowadays. Or, or so. David
2: Gordon greening it,
1: we'll call it. Yeah. It'll, it'll be the seventh movie in the series, and three of those movies will just be called an American Tale. <laughs> uh,
0: it's like, uh, yeah, it's Shaft, Shaft's big score, Shaft in Africa, Shaft and Shaft. <laughs> it's like the Monty Python spam sketch. Africa, <laughs> um, Right. So, very good. Let's move on to what you're watching. We're running a little bit long this episode, which is fine. Um, I guess I will start. I have, um, you know, this isn't something I've been watching, but it's been a book that I've, I've really been enjoying. I'm not quite done with it yet, but it's called JFK, Nixon, Oliver Stone, and Me, An Idealist Journey from Capitol Hill to Hollywood Hell by Eric Hamburg. And it's a guy that was... Um, he went to law school and then worked in politics for a bit, and got to know Oliver Stone when he was making JFK, and eventually became uh, a uh, a producer for Oliver Stone's production company and helped uh, Nixon and Any Given Sunday get made. But it's it it's a bit dry, but I think pretty well written. I think nowadays Eric Eric Hamburg uh, he directed a documentary called Preventing Genocide. Um, that sounds pretty interesting from 2009 and uh, still is a practicing uh, attorney and does some writing for Huffington Post. But it it's really neat to sort of hear how a, a guy coming from the world of politics goes into Hollywood and just how different stuff is, and in some ways how the same stuff is. Uh, And uh, the part that jumped out to me is Oliver Stone had a lot of stuff in production that in different stages of production he wanted to get made. At one point he said he wanted to do uh, movies about the lives of uh, Mao Zedong and Hitler, Hmm. um, which would have been quite something, especially from the 90s, Oliver Stone, who did all the uh, crazy film effects.
2: I think Nixon's a very underrated um, Oliver Stone movie. I think that's a really, really strong flick of his. Great.
0: It's also... um, it's about alcoholism in a way. I think that a lot of movies aren't. I think it gets some of that stuff right. With just yeah, uh, An- Anthony Hopkins, who who had um, substance abuse problems with that uh, earlier in his life, um, just really saw that Plays it. Drinking. Yeah, oh the can'ty. That's right. <laughs> but um, but there you go. Yeah, no, quite. Yeah, Nixon is, is overlooked for some reason. I think. And and speaking of JFK, um, Oliver Stone. Uh, I think was a producer uh, on a recent JFK documentary called JFK Revisited, um, on oh, cool. uh, Showtime. So I'll get off my pedestal. Um, Alex, what have you been watching?
2: Oh, geez, what the hell have I been watching? I um, recently watched uh, Hirokazu Koreeda's Afterlife. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? No, no. Um, Koreeda. It's it's the plot is really fascinating. It's basically so. When you die, you basically go to the center and what you do is that they give you like three or four days or, or a lot of amount of time to think about like your most beloved memory, um, no matter what it is. And what they do is that they stage it and they recreate it and they film it, right? Oh. And they like, you know, they'll get you in there and they'll be like, you know, like say one guy is like a pilot, and one of his favorite memories is like, you know, uh flying a plane. So like they put him in like this like, you know, um uh uh, cockpit, you know, and then they have like, you know, they, they have some like wind effects and stuff like that. And so you seem staging all these various things. Some people like think of like a picnic they had with their parents, and other people think of like sitting on a bench with a loved one. And what you do is that you take that tape, because I think this came out in '98, you take that tape and then you go into a screening room, you watch it, and then that is your afterlife basically is that your afterlife is reliving this beautiful moment um, forever and ever and ever. Um, and it's a fascinating thing because if, if you're familiar with Koreta's, um style, he's very meditative, very, like, at his own pace, very measured. And, um, you know, this premise is very far out and something you'd think you'd see in, like, a Charlie Kaufman movie, you know what I mean? Like, very high concept, mm-hmm. but it's it's played out in this very, like, aware kind of, like, aesthetic. And it's uh, it, it was really... It really pulled me in, and, like, it's, like, a, it's very uh, very thoughtful, thought-provoking, and, like, emotionally-driven narrative. And it, there's no saccharine or insincere emotionality to it. A fascinating movie. I would recommend it to anyone who's anyone. Um, really cool way to explore kind of, like, grief, sentiment, and all this other heady shit. Neat. And um, that's on, is
0: it on do you have it on dvd or blu-ray or what
2: i got it on blu-ray but um it's from the criterion collection so i'm sure it's on their network which i think comes with hbo go now hbo max or whatever it's called
0: um not sort of but not really they have some criterion stuff but not as much as the criterion uh app
2: if uh you have a a, a, like a mellow day where you're just kind of like hanging around by yourself and it's a quiet day like pop that on that's a it's a really cool flick
0: nice i'll have to check that out so uh, let's do our sequel scene i'm surprised you found something thrasher because these well, I
2: videos things did, don't i guess that. i didn't watch
1: anything. <laughs> but we all press for time so i don't mind saving it for next time
0: what do you mean is this for the next week's movie or what
1: well no no i, I never did a what you watching
0: oh i'm so sorry thrasher go ahead so I, I
1: watched, uh, there's a story of how I got here, which we can skip, uh, but the short of it is I watched uh, from 1972, uh, What's Up Doc? Have you all ever seen this? Yes, I love that movie.
0: I it's saw it when I was a little kid, and I was disappointed well, I it was right. cartoon.
1: Yeah, yeah, Ryan O'Neal, ba- uh, uh, Barbara Streisand, like yeah, Bogdanovich. Yeah, yeah. year before she was kind of full of herself. Uh, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, script by Buck Henry, David Newman, and Robert Benton. And I think that's why part of a good deal about why I like it. I love Buck Henry. He is one of my favorite comedy writers, and and his DNA is just all over this movie. It it is so it is so fascinating because like it's. It's a it's a farce. It really is a farce, but all the scenes are allowed to breathe. They really really take their time. The cast is amazing. So we've already talked about Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. Also, Madeline Kahn is in this movie. Kenneth Mars oh, yeah. is in this movie. Austin Pendleton is mm-hmm. in this movie. Randy Quaid is in this movie. M Emmett Walsh is in this movie.
2: Did you have you seen the trailer for it?
1: You know, I have not seen the trailer. I'd only check just check out the trailer. Okay, I'm going to check really, it out after this, definitely. Cool. But,
2: yeah. it, but but it
1: just really it really is delightful, and like for you know the it's uh, set I believe in uh, in San Francisco, and the whole the whole setup is that it's it's all it's all a mix-up. The short of it is there are four identical handbags, and they're very conspicuous handbags. They have this like. Faux leather top and then like a tartan on the bottom, uh, so it's very easy to spot. And it's uh, and one handbag contains igneous rocks that a professor of musicology needs for a study on Neolithic music, and that's Ryan O'Neill. But then another handbag contains a bunch of uh, diamond necklaces owned by a wealthy dowager. But then another one uh, is a handbag uh, by owned by Barbara Streisand, which contains. All her possessions, mostly clothes, because her character, as we discover, uh, is uh, does not have a place to live. Uh, and finally, the final handbag belongs to a spy and is full of classified government documents. And these bags are constantly getting mixed up and moved between characters. Everyone's chasing after everyone else. Uh, this is the movie that it's a mad, 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 mad world wishes that it was. Mm. Yes, well said. It's hilarious. The dialogue is dense and characterful. Scenes escalate in a very natural, organic way. There are a handful of stunts where you wonder how people didn't die uh, doing them. Uh, And it's also great. The other thing I noticed, uh, so Barbara Streisand's character, um, uh, Judy Maxwell, she is, for all intents and purposes, a manic pixie dream girl. She's just this kind of sprightly free spirit who kind of pops into people's lives but not in, like, a cloying, reductive way. Like, she still feels like a fully rounded character, like so many of the other characters in this movie, although all the characters have at least one trait that is blown out of proportion, and that really helps the comedy work.
0: Yeah, I'll have to check that out. It's been... I just caught a bit of it when I was a kid and thought it was Bugs Bunny in it when I saw it wasn't. I lost interest, or maybe in the end credits.
1: Well, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck have a cameo at the end.
0: Yeah, maybe that's the only part I... I caught because I vaguely remember that, and I was like, "Oh, at, okay."
2: At Madeline Kahn is Madeline conning the hell out of everything.
0: Oh, it's she's a very it's something at of an anomaly
2: conning. of a movie. Like it's really its own thing. One of the other things
1: that really is this movie's strength is every character acts like they're acting in a different movie. And mm. you know, keep in mind, Rocky Horror came out several years later. I truly feel that the Brad and Janet from the Rocky Horror Picture Show are modeled after Ryan O'Neal and Madeline Kahn as Howard Bannister and Eunice Burns.
2: And I feel like like Ryan O'Neal's playing it like like Cary Grant, all the bringing up baby, like it's like as if like he's playing Cary Grant playing a nerd. You know what I mean? Like whoa, you know it's what I mean? Crazy. Like about the film, yes. Yeah, it's a it's a wild movie.
0: Uh, well, and if, if you can, it? yeah, go on.
2: I
1: was saying, if you can't find that, then rent Good Time Slim, Uncle Doobie, and the Great Frisco Freakout. (laughs) That's
0: a pretty good title. Um, So now let's do the. I'm sorry for inadvertently skipping you over, Thrasher, before. um, All right, let's move on to the sequel scene, and then I'll wrap this up. So,
1: yeah, this this is uh, towards the end when the robber barons decide they need to send their bully boys on an expedition into the indigenous mouse caves.
0: All right, and who wants to play what part? Uh, I
1: will do I I would like to do Grasping and even though that's the character played by LeBron Perlman,
2: I'm going to do Tony J's voice. Okay. <laughs> let's see. There's Grasping, there's Scuttlebutt, there's McBrusk. Uh, let's see. I'll be Scuttlebutt. Okay, I'll be McBrusk. All right, and, so here we go. Uh, go. McBrusk. Uh,
0: yes, sir. Uh,
1: Find the Indian cave and turn it into a burial ground.
0: Yes, sir.
2: Ah, good luck with that.
0: Which reminds me, I'm I'm going to need a guide.
2: I'd sooner die than go down there again. Uh, that Look, that,
0: some, uh, that oh.
2: just about sums up your choices, doesn't it? Riveting.
0: Yep. <laughs> it's AC. the last line. The last line was a McBrewsk, wasn't it? That was mine. No.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I.
0: It's okay. i But well, it just about sums up your choices, doesn't it?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, no, that, that line is cute. It's one of the better lines, which isn't saying much, but there you go. And my yeah. cats are about to murder me. I have to go feed them in between show records. So, yeah, for um, Sequelcast 2, you can follow me at Sequelcast. Follow the show at Sequelcast 2 on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. And you can watch my. Uh, Videos, I'm slowly uh, kind of doing news on the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster series on YouTube at youtube.com slash sequelcast. The final one as of this recording, Final Fantasy VI, has not come out yet. Even though these titles were announced in this in uh, the spring or the summer and Square Enix said coming soon, one of them is still not out. So coming soon means nothing, um, which is uh, frustrating when you're trying to follow a news Uh Thrasher.
1: All right. Well, you can uh, follow me on Twitter uh, at WT2Art. Uh, Also, by the time this episode drops, it should be out. Um, If you like wizard schools and witch academies, but don't want to give any business to a certain author who I will not name uh, Mm. for various reasons, then... Go to RPG.com and purchase a copy of 100 Oddities for an Arcane Academy. Um, this is uh, I co-authored this book. I did all the illustrations. I truly feel like it is one of the best things I have ever done uh, or been a part of for Skirmisher. It just kind of happened um, uh, for for a num for a number of reasons. But we you know we worked we worked hard over the past uh, three weeks putting it all together. Uh, and it's just, it's just a charming book. Uh, it's got two, in addition to the 100 oddities, uh, it has uh, two really nice bonus tables, a uh, magical student activities generator, and also a table of random books you might find in a magical school's library. So definitely check out 100 oddities for an arcane academy if you really want to spice up a magic school in your tabletop role-playing games. Or if you just want to support me and, uh, and read uh, something that I uh, co-wrote and illustrated.
0: Cool, and Alex. Uh,
2: you can follow me on the old Twitter at Crab Nebula nineteen fourteen if uh, you want some uh, hot takes on the current state of uh, movies, or you can drop by my YouTube channel, The Trailer Project. Um, I think the most recent thing is I, uh, I I gave us a little makeover with our introduction video. Um, it's a little shorter, it's a little sweeter, and it's a lot better. Then my first one, because I kind of know what I'm doing now in terms of editing. Or I've gotten, we'll say there's been some progress in the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, drop by, check it out. We got some, We got. I got some irons in the fire too, so stay tuned.
0: Very good. So for Cast 2 this is Matt.
2: And this is Thrasher. And this is Alex. Same.
1: Matzo ball soup is strong medicine.
2: You can dream dreams Dreaming in a hot air balloon Dracula
0: Keep on climbing Up
2: the ladder Keep on rising It's a